This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. COVID-19 has had a profound impact on the economy in British Columbia. A staggering deficit prediction. With many businesses struggling, the hit to B.C.'s bottom line. A B.C. woman's terrifying account of sexual assault. How many lives are going to be lost because of a systemic issue? How she says RCMP blew it and why she's speaking up now. And road rage against a tow truck driver. Hey, chill out, buddy. Chill out. What happened when the car owner did not chill out? You're watching Global B.C., this is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The numbers are staggering. BC's Finance Minister Carol James is projecting a $12.5 billion deficit. It includes a drop in revenue of more than $6 billion, compounded by more than $6 billion in pandemic response spending. And as Richard Zussman reports, the B.C. business community is calling on the government to come up with a plan for more immediate relief. The close may be small, but the economic struggle running White Rock's Luby-Doos is huge. March the 17th, we closed the store and for two months plus, we literally had no sales whatsoever. The kids' clothing store, just a small example for the larger economic picture released by the B.C. government on Tuesday. The provincial deficit soaring from a $227 million surplus in February to a $12.5 billion deficit now. There is no question that COVID-19 has had a profound impact on the economy in British Columbia and that that's not short term. Government revenues down. The PST bringing in $1.3 billion less than budgeted. Personal income tax nearly a billion dollars less and corporate income tax down $973 billion. Household income is expected to be down nearly 4% this year and retail sales nearly 16%. In the immediate term, the government should be looking to, to policies that, that will spur economic growth kind of now. The government quick to point out this is just a snapshot and could improve quickly or get worse if a second wave of COVID-19 comes. The province is promising no service cuts and no tax increases to deal with the deficit. We are not looking, uh, because it wouldn't be good for economic recovery right now, uh, to pull back uh, on spending and, and cause some more challenges in our economy. The B.C. Liberals are suggesting a 90-day PST holiday for businesses and individuals. To get the economy rolling again, to get people to sense things are on sale and they can go out with some confidence and enjoy their lives. The business community wants to see a plan to boost investment, support skills retraining and encourage a return to school in the fall. There's a number of projects on the books that could be accelerated. And if we look at the history of the construction industry in the province, it is a very, very substantial and large economic engine. Well, Richard Zussman joins us now live with more on B.C.'s economic outlook. Richard, I know nobody wants the answer to this, but today you asked it anyway. How long is it going to take to get out of this? 
It could be a while, Chris. We've heard from Finance Minister Carol James, an economist, that they don't have a crystal ball, but they do have history to look at. You just saw Ken Peacock in the story there. He looks back to the deficits in British Columbia in 2008 and 2009, says that was a few billion dollars, and it took four years to get out of deficits. He says this situation is unique. No one has ever seen anything like this, but he says that it could be eight, nine, even 10 years until BC can get back on firm economic footing due to the impact of this pandemic, Chris. Yeah, if nothing else bad happens in the meantime. Thanks very much, Richard. Well, a fairly stable day when it comes to COVID-19 in B.C. Health officials reporting a drop in cases from what we've seen the last couple of days. That's right, 13 new cases, which brings our total to 3,128 in B.C. Thankfully, no new deaths, so that number remains at 189 lives lost. 14 people are in hospital, 5 in ICU, no change to either of those numbers. 2,730 people have recovered, leaving us with that number, 209 active cases. And while new cases are down today from the 20 or so a day we have been averaging lately, health officials say that slight uptick we've been seeing is not cause for alarm just yet. Keith Baldry explains why there could be more at play than just careless Phase 3 bubble expansion and how businesses recently hit in the Okanagan are coping. This was a scene today at the Crazy Cherry Fruit Company in Oliver. It remains closed. Its workers under quarantine after two of them tested positive for COVID-19. But rest assured, says Dr. Bonnie Henry, the cherries from here and from everywhere else pose no health problem to the public. Food is not uh, a source of transmission of COVID-19 for the most part. And in particular, we are confident there is no risk from cherries that have been processed at the Crazy Cherry Farm in Interior Health. Meanwhile, the investigation into private parties at two resorts in Kelowna continues, as so far 17 people associated with them have tested positive for the virus. It was a group of people who knew each other who met up in Kelowna, some of whom were from Interior Health, some were from um, Alberta, I understand, and some were from the Lower Mainland. So it was a single group, and it was introduced in that group. That was one of her chief warnings today. Do not attend large private parties where the virus may be brought in as well. That's why it is so important that we all stay away, stay home, skip those parties, skip that travel if we're not feeling 100% well. And while the past six days before today have seen relatively high case numbers, Dr. Henry says we are bound to see those higher numbers as we move around more this summer. I know it uh, was distressing to me to see 20, especially 25 one day. That's uh, way above my comfort zone. Um, But it is not, as we've talked about, it's not unexpected. As we're getting into the the second week of the first incubation period since we moved to phase three, that's when we knew we were going to start to see people, um, cases increase. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more now. Keith, it also appears that border is going to stay closed Mm -hmm. for yet another month. An extension is all but certain now. Yes, till August 21st, but I have to tell you, uh, it's going to be closed a lot longer than that. I asked Dr. Bonnie Henry about that, and her uh, answer, I think, is very uh, telling because she's talking about months, not weeks, in terms of the border remaining closed. Here's Dr. Henry. Yes, you know, we, I don't believe that there's any, um, there's any reason that we would expect to be able to safely have uh, visitors, people who are here as tourists, 
um, in the coming weeks or months. I'm happy it's going till August, and we'll need to, of course, make sure that we watch carefully and uh, monitor what's going on. Um, there are a lot of people who have connections across our borders, so we are looking at how do we make sure um, if people need to come into Canada, it can be done safely. To, to me, right now, that means there's a 14-day quarantine period, no exceptions. Now, if you want evidence of why that border remains to be closed, just look at the latest statistics from Washington State today. 547 positive cases were reported today. Five more people died. They've got more than 42,000 cases just across the border, and tragically, 1,400 more than 1,400 people have passed away from the virus. So that's more evidence that the border is not going to open between the two countries for, I think, quite a while. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Vancouver police are investigating the city's eighth homicide of the year. It happened late last night near the Punjabi market at Main and East 48th. The victim has been identified as 30-year-old Amin Shaheen Shakur, who police say did not have an extensive police history. Aaron MacArthur reports. Just after 11 Monday night, people living near 48th and Main heard at least four gunshots. Witnesses watched as a man jumped in a dark-colored car and sped away. Even though when he uh, got down from here, so there was a huge sound of the car because he ran very fast. The victim, according to the VPD, is 30-year-old Amin Shahin Shakur. Investigators spent much of the day combing the alley behind Main Street, at one point towing away a cargo van. Police believe this was a targeted murder. I don't have uh, specifically what he uh, or what his interaction with police was. Uh, I don't believe he has any criminal charges, but he has had run-ins with police in the past. We're now with this guy, just open up the bag and load it up. Shakur was active on social media where he is being remembered fondly. Being identified as one of the owners of two businesses along Main Street, a cannabis shop and a convenience store called Dank Mart. So it wasn't always like... When we opened up a store and it was successful. We went through so much time of paying rent, investing into this to open a business. Despite assurances from VPD that there is little risk to the public, people who live in the neighborhood are on edge. Yeah, it's scary. First time I've heard of it, heard of it in quite a few years, so it's a bit scary. Police have canvassed the neighborhood, but are asking for anyone with information to come forward proactively to help solve the city's eighth murder of the year. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Prince George RCMP have made an arrest in last week's deadly hotel fire, which they say was deliberately set. Flames tore through the Econo Lodge on Victoria Street last Wednesday. After the fire was knocked down, three bodies were found inside. The fire has since been deemed arson. A suspect was arrested Saturday and later released without charges pending further investigation. Prince George RCMP Serious Crimes Unit is also investigating potential criminal negligence after reports that the fire alarm did not sound. A second woman is coming forward tonight with serious concerns over how an alleged sexual assault complaint was handled by White Rock RCMP. The terrifying encounter incurred with an intruder in her own home five years ago. But the outcome of the police investigation is what haunts her still. Nadia Stewart has more on what happened and a warning, some of the details are disturbing. I don't harbor great feelings towards that detachment and to be honest, I probably never will. 
It is a story Caitlin has never shared publicly, but she is telling it now, concerned over how White Rock RCMP are handling complaints of sexual harassment. After reading the story of the two girls in White Rock, and it being the exact same detachment and similar response, like the system is broken and enough's enough. It was April 2015 when Caitlin awoke only to find a man in her White Rock apartment. She says he began yelling and cursing at her as she desperately tried to get out. I thought he's either going to kill me and rape me or rape me and kill me and I don't know what's going to come first. She managed to escape to a neighbor's apartment only to have the perpetrator banging on that door too. And he mumbled something in the words of, I'm going to let guys rape you. And I lost it at that point. I started crying and I'm on the phone with 911 while this is happening. But it was what the officer who responded suggested she do that prompted her to speak now. The same jargon of, we'll just move. It's awful because I shouldn't feel like I need to move or feel unsafe because of someone else's behavior. Caitlin feels the response from police then is similar to what police allegedly said to two women in White Rock, also complaining of sexual harassment in their building. We reached out to RCMP for a response, but did not hear back. In the end, the man who broke into Caitlin's apartment, though taken into police custody and detained overnight, was not charged. And because the officer who responded believed she'd left her apartment door unlocked, Caitlin says the matter was not taken seriously. But after she filed a complaint, the RCMP's Civilian Review and Complaints Commission found the lead officer failed to conduct a thorough investigation into what they admit should have been handled as a break and enter. The officer was given guidance on, quote, the importance of taking statements. Rather than telling victims to move, Caitlin is demanding better of White Rock RCMP. It shouldn't take someone to be seriously injured for an appropriate response or for someone who takes an oath to do their job properly. Nadia Stark, Global News. The vote on overnight camping at some Vancouver parks pushed off last night as a lengthy list of speakers wanted to voice their opinion. Those speakers will get back at it tonight after the park board heard from dozens of them last night. The amendment would allow homeless people to sleep in parks overnight but require them to leave by 8 a.m. in the morning. However, Strathcona residents who thought the change might help address concerns with the new tent city in their neighborhood found out that if passed, the scope of this bylaw would not actually apply to encampments like this. An Okanagan family targeted by racist messages spray painted on their home. The RCMP investigation and why this isn't the only place targeted by hate in just over a minute. The U.S. desperate to contain the coronavirus, now backtracking on the reopening that had deadly consequences. That's coming up on the news hour. And a peaceful paddle that took a surprising turn. The swamp thing that overturned his kayak later. Right now, though, Summerland RCMP are investigating two incidents of apparent hate-motivated vandalism in the Okanagan Valley community. A warning, these images are disturbing swastika on my on my home and we think they drew uh, KKK on the bricks. This is what greeted the Lake brothers after they drove from Vancouver to their family home in Summerland. Their parents were alone last night when vandals tossed rocks through the windows and spray painted graffiti including those swastikas and hateful words on the home. The family can't understand why someone would target them. It's just terrifying. My mom is so shaken up and 
like still can't even believe it. She's still like shaking right now. It's been 30 years. Nothing like this has ever happened. And the, like it's heartache, it's hurtful, it's anger, it's everything. Just seeing something like this just is devastating. We've seen bullying in high school and middle school, but nothing to this extent. Well, our investigators are taking this extremely seriously. Uh, they've notified the BC RCMP hate crime team. Police believe this incident is linked to similar hateful graffiti that was discovered on the town's Memorial Park Bandshell stage this morning. A Coquitlam church counselor who worked with young people has now been charged with a string of sex crimes. 75-year-old Raymond Gallardi is now facing six charges for offenses alleged to have taken place between 1993 and 2007. As Grace Key reports, police believe there may be more victims. RCMP is releasing the photo of Raymond Howard Gallardi, hoping other possible victims and witnesses will come forward. It's alleged the sexual abuse happened between 1993 and 2007 inside his Coquitlam home, where he offered therapy sessions to young people. The 75-year-old is charged with four counts of sexual assault and two counts of sexual exploitation involving three teenage boys and one young man. Police say he met the young people primarily through their parents at church. He's been associated with multiple churches in Port Coquitlam and Coquitlam, including Austin Avenue Chapel, Evergreen Avenue, Evangelical and Hillside Community Church. Ray Gillardi was a volunteer and part of our church community up until 2016. He was never on staff uh, with our church. Uh, he had a private counseling practice in his home that was not connected to our church in any way. For our under, from our understanding, none of the, the offenses took place on church property. The men who've come forward to tell their stories have shown tremendous courage. And anybody else who can find it in themselves to come forward and tell their stories would hopefully be helping prevent further victims down the line. Gulati was arrested and released. He's not to be alone with anyone under 18 years old. In Coquitlam, Grace Key, Global News. Still ahead, a dog goes on a very strange trip. What the pup ate and the odd symptoms that tipped its owner off. And a tow truck driver's day takes a violent turn. What happened when he hooked up a vehicle and the angry owner confronted him? Traffic is pretty steady over here this evening at the Golden Ears Bridge. Minimal delays north and south across the bridge deck. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Golden Ears Bridge. Vancouver police are now investigating an attack caught on camera targeting a tow truck driver. It happened Monday morning in a parking lot at 3490 Kingsway near the Vancouver Burnaby boundary. A man apparently upset his car was being towed, started yelling at the tow truck driver and kicking the truck. He then went into a nearby restaurant and returned with a hammer proceeding to smash the driver's side window. The driver and bystanders repeatedly told the man to relax and chill out. And when police got there, they did take the man into custody. I had a chance to review the video, and of course, uh, it was a, an act of violence. So anytime an act of violence occurs, uh, we are very concerned. Uh, you know, it was in broad daylight. There were plenty of people around. Uh, thankfully, nobody was injured. Um, and again, if anybody does have more information, they can call police. And police are recommending charges of assault with a weapon, uttering threats, and possession of a dangerous weapon. 
North Vancouver firefighters were called in to help a mountain biker who crashed while riding on Mount Seymour. The 47-year-old man crashed on the popular Black Diamond Trail, Pangor. He's believed to have suffered a spinal injury. He was stabilized at the scene, then carried out on a litter by firefighters to a waiting ambulance. Crews say they're seeing more of these calls as the weather improves. As the trails are extremely busy, uh, as we enjoy and encourage people our trails in the North Shore, please come to the trails, but just play safe. Firefighters also say part of playing safe is to ride or hike with a partner or at least let someone know where you are planning to go. A warning tonight for pet owners to be extra vigilant. We've told you about dogs being poisoned by cannabis, but it's rare to hear of one ingesting cocaine. That's believed to have been what happened to a Metro Vancouver Siberian Husky. And now the owner is speaking to our Linda Aylesworth about the ordeal. It was here on Saturday on the grounds of Simon Fraser University that Casey and her dog Halo's walk in the park turned into anything but. I think Halo smelled the chocolate brownie and then he ran here. Casey didn't initially see anything untoward, so she took Halo home. But 20 minutes later... Halo had uh, very strange symptoms I never seen before. So he started with his rear legs, have like convulsion and sudden kick. He became paranoid and lethargic. Eventually he couldn't move and his breathing became very shallow. She rushed him to the vet. Initially we thought that it was uh, some kind of paralysis or some kind of hind back stroke. But when I saw, it was uh, very highly suggestive for some kind of toxicity. He was right. The blood and urine test came back positive for cannabis and traces of cocaine. Sometimes if it's a high dose, they can, you know, just uh, put the dog's heart rate really down. It can be fatal as well. 24 hours and $1,500 worth of veterinary bills later, Halo recovered. Casey, wanting to know what happened, returned to the site and found this, chocolate cake or brownie crumbs. I collect uh, some sample from it because I want to send it to some um, testing place to see what exactly it is inside. No, hello. <laughs> Dr. Ranjan says such poisonings have been on the rise since cannabis was legalized. He sees five to ten such cases every week. The park and beaches are the most common areas, so try to be more vigilant when you're walking them. I know it's really hard to say, but if we can, that'll be great. As a temporary measure to keep Halo safe, he dons a cone of shame. But it's the cannabis user who carelessly discards edibles or the butts of joints who should be ashamed. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still ahead, the U.S. on a dangerous trajectory. If you have wave after wave after wave, how long can you sustain that? The strain on hospitals and testing sites as infections skyrocket. And later, a calm paddle takes a shocking turn for this kayaker. Extra volume for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 through Surrey tonight because of a minor two-car crash. It's eastbound just before 152nd Street, mostly off to the right shoulder, but a fire truck is also blocking the 152nd exit lane as well. Traffic is slow on the approach from the east end of the Portman Bridge. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Surrey. 
The city of Burnaby recently lost two longtime councillors, and they may not be replaced anytime soon. The pandemic is not only forcing B.C. to rethink the rules for municipal by-elections, but also how we would vote should our minority government collapse during COVID. Tetranecki reports. With the sudden passing of Burnaby councillors Nick Volko and Paul McDonnell, there are two vacant seats on council that in normal circumstances would require a by-election to replace them within 80 days. But the Municipal Act also says, or when practical. Burnaby's mayor says he's waiting for safety guidelines from the province. The ministry has said that we should wait for those guidelines, and, and that's the advice they give us. I mean, we're not, our business of council is not being hampered at all by this. Um, you know, we can pass motions with five at council, and right now we have seven. The province has already deferred by-elections in Victoria, Rossland, and Lytton. But the Maidy Nation of B.C. is going ahead with its scheduled election starting next week. All 21,000 eligible voters will be sent mail-in ballots. We're probably the first impacted, but we likely won't be the last because we know that the provincial government is in a minority status, federal government's in a minority status, so all levels of government are probably having similar discussions right now around how to prepare. Elections BC is scrambling to come up with safety guidelines should BC's minority government fall tomorrow. It's studying how South Korea in April this year successfully had 30 million voters physically cast ballots with no spike in COVID cases. BC is only now trying to procure the personal protection equipment to do the same. A snap election here would rely heavily on mail-in ballots. It's like everything else uh, related to COVID-19. It's, it's all new ground for all of us. And uh, we're, we're learning to work through it together. Technically, BC's next fixed election date is October 16th, 2021. The federal vote is on or before exactly two years later. But with minority governments, the question is, will democracy be COVID's next victim? Ted Chernahi, Global News. Florida, Texas, and California posted roughly 15% of the world's confirmed cases of COVID-19 on Monday. And while testing is increasing, the delay in delivering results could be putting even more people at risk. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. In cities across America, cars snake through streets and parking lots as residents line up for a COVID test. I was online for five and a half hours and they shut it down four cars before I got to the entrance. But at a certain point, the line gets cut off as manpower and resources run dry. Challenges that first appeared months ago aren't going away, despite a boastful attitude from the Trump administration. We test more than anybody by far. They've been focused on saying everything's fine and we've got plenty of testing. And clearly they're wrong and we're now paying the price for that. About 700,000 tests are being done on average every day. Health experts say it's not enough. And with more businesses reopening, the overwhelming demand for tests is proving problematic. It is straining the capacity of the laboratories. Some sites are turning away anyone without symptoms. For those who can get a test, results can take a few to as many as 15 days. You may only have a window of a couple days between identifying a case and preventing that case's contact from infecting others. That limits the effectiveness of contact tracing and increases the risk of spreading the virus. This increase in cases is going to result in an overwhelming amount of hospitalizations that will spill over into ICUs and people will needlessly die. Dozens of hospitals from Florida to Arizona and California are at capacity. PPE and ventilators are now in short supply. 
if you have wave after wave after wave, how long can you sustain that? In New York, 22 states are now on the list of mandatory quarantine upon entrance, while other states actively work to step back into shutdown mode, a sign that any light at the end of the tunnel may be slowly fading away. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, COVID-19 could lead to some major changes to how WorkSafe BC operates. Under the proposed new rules, WorkSafe will waive their 90-day waiting period on claims for people who've contracted COVID-19. During the pandemic, businesses will also be able to defer paying their premiums for six months without penalty or interest. And premiums are being waived for workers receiving the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy. Under the new rules, WorkSafe will also be allowed to approve prevent medical treatment for workers before a claim is filed. Allowing preventative treatment before a claim is filed can be fundamental in helping injured workers heal and not put their health at further risk, whether it be supporting physical or mental health. Minister Bain says changes are not expected to increase costs. Instead, WorkSafe will draw on its accident surplus fund. Still ahead, the end of an era for an iconic jeweler. I could have been the granddaughter of a fishmonger, but I am actually the granddaughter of a jeweler. How Cartwright Jewelers began and why it's closing its doors after nearly 90 years in business. And in sports, on the eve of their return to action, the Whitecaps count down to game time tomorrow. Give a shout out, tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News. BC Healthcare Heroes in partnership with Fortis BC, caring for the BC communities where we live and work. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Some big improvements are coming to the Coquitlam Crunch over the next five years. Anything that you add to it could just enhance it. Those enhancements along the popular hiking trail include three new viewing decks along with a transverse trail that links the east and west staircases. There are also plans for outdoor exercise equipment to be added and improvements expected in the parking lot. A signal will also be added to the pedestrian crossing at Guilford Way later this year. Most crunchers we spoke with are excited about the upcoming changes. I think the viewpoints are a great idea. I don't think it's the greatest geography for uh, workout equipment, though. I like the viewpoints, but right now, for exercise equipment, maybe later, but with COVID-19, everybody's touching the same stuff. I think it's a great idea. It would be, it'd give you more of an opportunity to have a bit more uh, versatile workout. More than 50,000 visitors use the trail each month. During the pandemic, usage has gone up to about 60,000. A very close call for a kayaker in North Carolina. We'll show you that again. That. We'll show you that again and tell you what happened right after the forecast. We, we might even slow it down for you. Uh, all right, let's, let's check in. Yvonne's in with uh, the weather for Christy tonight. And what a beautiful evening behind you. Oh, fantastic. Much needed summer-like out there. Temperatures soaring today, even warmer as we get in towards tomorrow. Here's a beautiful shot overlooking the North Shore Mountains. We're sitting at 20 degrees with a light southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Highs today in the interior pushing up to 30 degrees. We'll continue to see that for one more day tomorrow. Bit of a blip in the forecast on Thursday, and I'll have the timeline in just a moment. Overnight
overnight tonight, just a few clouds out there. We're at 13 degrees by tomorrow, 22 as the high. Away from the water, climbing up to 25 degrees, 26 and feeling closer to 30 degrees when we factor in the humidex. Now, the bulk of the moisture and the rain for the northern half of the province continuing to, continuing to see another wave moving its way in. Anywhere between 20 and up to 50 millimeters for tomorrow. And we are looking at periods of rain for much of the central interior. Anything to the south of it will still remain dry for tomorrow. Chance of showers and more cloud cover moving in across the south coast on Thursday. So the bulk of the rain across the north coast, an additional 20 and up to 50 millimeters for tomorrow. Long range forecasts, we are going to see Thursday, a chance of showers, and then it rebounds quite quickly. A ridge starts to build in great timing as we approach the weekend. We'll be back into some sunshine. Rain and heavy at times for all areas across the north coast. Similar for the central interior towards the south of it. Sunny with highs up to 30 degrees for many areas. Fantastic for areas near Whistler. The one spot across the south coast, the northern tip of the island, could see more cloud cover with the chance of showers. All of the areas tomorrow warming up away from the water. Feeling closer to 30 degrees. Showers on Thursday. Back into some sunshine for both our Friday and leading in towards the weekend. Tonight's weather window, a fantastic one. This was taken by Roger. Comet Neowise, Texada Island, he took it, and this is just over Powell River. Guys, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Great shot. Good timing. There's clear skies for sure. All right, some heart-stopping moments now for a kayaker out for a little exercise in North Carolina, and it was all caught on video. Terrifying. We'll slow it down so you can see the epic close encounter. The kayaker paddling along when an alligator rushes him. The kayaker ends up flipping into the water but is able to recover. Thankfully, the gator left him alone after that, but that had to be terrifying. They move quick, don't they? I feel like like that I'm not a kayaker, but it just didn't look super inviting. (laughs) Why are you going to kayak there? Not quite a nice (laughs) place to be. I'm good. It looks like a place where a swamp monster would live. (laughs) Right? And and that I agree so true. Yeah. All right, look who's here for Squire tonight. Jay Jana, we're making a rare evening appearance. Good yeah. to see you, bud. We don't have a golf score from Squire, by the way. That's where he's uh, off today, playing nice. golf. Good for him. Uh, circle the date, Wednesday, July 29th. Canucks and Jets facing off in the only exhibition game prior to their playing series. The boys were grinding hard again today at training camp. In hard two days, uh, really hard two days, especially like for it. It's not the best preparation that uh, we had going through a t- uh, training camp solo. Travis Green closing yesterday and today's on-ice session with his traditional bag skate. We'll discuss day two of camp and also who the Canucks just signed ahead in sports. Thank you, Jay. Also tonight, a bittersweet decision to close the family jewelry store for this iconic BC businesswoman. All right, it is time to take a moment to recognize another one of our BC healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes from Linda Jones and all the staff at Courtyard Garden Seniors Residence in Richmond. They're nominating their co-worker, Judy Hapke. Judy is a registered nurse and the director of care at Courtyard Gardens, where she's been working for 15 years. 
Before the pandemic, Judy was going to retire. However, she felt she couldn't leave during this tumultuous time and has worked tirelessly every day to keep her vulnerable residents and staff safe and healthy. It hasn't been easy, of course, with residents being kept away from their loved ones. But with FaceTime and visits at Windows, everyone is doing the very best they can, and Judy has been a big part of that. Judy, an avid BC Lions fan, has decided to finally retire in August to spend time with her husband, Bob, traveling. Judy, the staff at Courtyard Gardens would like to thank you for your kindness, compassion, and dedication, and wish you all the best. And we do too. Plus, we thank you for being a healthcare hero for BC. If you have a BC healthcare hero you'd like to see recognized, just send us an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Send a few pictures and some details about why they are your hero, and we just might feature them next. Bang some pots and pans and think of Judy tonight. All right. Cartwright Jewelers has been an institution in New Westminster for nearly 90 years, but it's time for the third generation owner to wind it down. The family run shop on 6th Street has been the go to place for countless graduation gifts, engagement rings and wedding bands. But Ted Field shows us why the time is right to close the doors for good. The rose cut to it. Diamonds are forever, but even a legendary Royal City jewelry store owner has to decide when it's time to sell the last rings. Cartwright Jewelers opened during trying times in 1933. James Daniel Cartwright hurt himself while commercial fishing. Unable to work, he pivoted and started a small watchmaking and jewelry business. I could have been the granddaughter of a fishmonger, but I'm actually the granddaughter of a jeweler, which makes me much happier. Susan Cartwright Coates is the third generation to use her grandfather's magnifying loop. You will find most jewelers use a loop like this, which they hold in their fingers. But my father and my grandfather were watchmakers, and watchmakers use a loop because they put it in their eye like this so that both their hands are free to be working on watches. Over the years, Cartwright Jewelers also raised thousands of dollars for the CKNW Orphans or Kids Fund, selling snow globes that have decorated many mantles. But one of the big jobs was chatting with a young, nervous person coming through that front door looking for an engagement ring. We always say they know how to buy tires for their trucks, but they don't know a thing about diamonds. We have become a, a safe haven. Susan says the decision to close is not COVID-related. She wants to spend more time with some other jewels, her family. My grandfather had a saying, if you were old enough to see over the counter, you were old enough to work. So I have literally was raised in the jewelry store, and it has been my life's work. Um, I have five beautiful grandchildren and an amazing husband, and it's time to spend time with, with those people in my life. Ted Field, Global News. I lost an earring today. Oh, you still got time. I know. Yeah. I should go to Cartwright go and see, see what they Susan. have for me. She has been amazing. Ted mentioned it, the mm -hmm. snow globes raising money for CKNW Kids Fund. And, uh, and Will has quite a collection oh, of really? them. Every year I'd pick one up. But bulldozers, uh, Ford trucks, all kinds of crazy things. They were kind of interesting snow globes. And we'll miss you. I hope you're back mm -hmm. for Pledge Day, though, Susan. Please promise you'll come back. From fishmonger to jeweler. Uh-huh. What a, what a transition that was. All right. Uh, Yvonne Schell with the final word on the weather as we ease our way into actual summer weather.
Yeah, it's feeling like it, and we'll see it again tomorrow. So very similar to today, 27 away from the water. And with the Humidex tomorrow, it's going to feel like 30 degrees. Grab the sunscreen. The UV index will be at 9 or very high. Now skip Thursday because we do have some showers. It'll be a touch cooler, but that'll likely just be the blip in the forecast, and then things really do improve, and just in time for the weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we've got some sunshine in the mix, and temperatures will warm up once again. It's looking good. I was just thinking, do either you or Jay have an anniversary coming up? Because just passed it. it. Was, exactly. Last year, <laughs> it was that, the big spend then. You can always buy diamonds, guys. You know what? Always. My birthday is coming up. Yep. I sensed that was true. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a great uh, night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.